Good to be in the house of the Lord. Good to have all of you here. And I am, <clears throat> I was studying or reading and I, I had several things kind of come to my mind about, um, <clears throat> we've been talking about the infilling of the Holy Ghost and the presence of the Lord and there's more that can be said about that. <clears throat> but I, uh, I know our, our theme is growing apostolic legacy and that sense of a legacy is a history, it's a building, it talks about the future, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I, I got to thinking about what the Bible really kind of talks about when you think in terms of deliverance from Egypt. And most of us know all of that, uh, the stories about being delivered from Egypt. And yet, how much uh, Jesus became a second Moses, if you will, um, especially as you go through uh, later the tabernacle plan and you think of all these ways of, that Christ fulfilled the types and shadows of that sense of what Moses did when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And most of us know the story. It's Wednesday night. We're Bible scholars here and everybody kind of knows what happened. Uh, they have all the plagues and you can study the plagues and how each one of them represented a uh, a world system, if you will, the systems of Egypt and what, you know, their economy and the darkness and, and uh, <clears throat> the water turning to blood and, and the Nile was, was their lifeline. And of course, uh, Pharaoh was considered the son of Ra or the son of the, uh, uh, the S-O-N of the S-U-N. And so he was like a god, if you will. He was a god, and this was what we would commonly say was a battle of the gods. And the Lord took every one of the major gods that um, the Egyptians worshipped and he uh, basically overthrew them and then the last one was um, going to be the death of what? The firstborn. Now that, that's an important phrase, the death of the firstborn, that there would be a firstborn and that one would die. Because the idea was you can't protect your firstborn and now the Hebrews are going to be my firstborn. Now that was a big switch because when Adam and Eve, before they sinned, they were innocent and there was no law, there was no there was nothing to them to tell them what to do right from wrong and Cain got mad and uh, even though the Lord had told him be careful he just rose up and killed his brother and then started what we call the age of conscience when you know as uh, Jimmy uh, the cricket says let your conscience be your guide and uh, that was a sense of you know it's wrong you know it's right and yet, 
uh, we know that you can sear your conscience. You can uh, be raised. And so for a while, it was the age of conscience. And then, of course, uh, you had the patriarchs. And then when God spoke to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And they go down into Egypt for 400 and something years. And now the Lord was going to birth a people. He was going to birth a people. And that he was going to deliver them from Egypt. And that last plague was, what do we call it? The feast that they began there was the feast of what? Passover. Everybody say Passover. And they celebrated the feast of the Passover and they had to have their shoes on and they had to stay in the house until morning and they had to all eat. They had to clean it all up and they had to have be full and they had to eat, eat all of it and then they had to have uh, later they were going to have salt water and bitter herbs and they, they have all of these things and then that next morning they headed out. And they came uh, a few days and there was a cloud that came over them. And then they came to the Red Sea and the waters rolled back when Moses held up his staff. And that staff was referred to as the rod of God. It was like the Lord basically used that staff to turn into a serpent and all those things. And so he held that up and the waters opened and they marched through and then the waters came down the cloud went back and got dark and they, and, uh, they marched through on dry ground. We all know that. That's, that's the deliverance. And Paul, when he was writing to the Hebrews, identified that the key element was there was faith. And in this faith chapter, you can read there are several verses about Moses by faith. He forsook the riches of Egypt uh, rather than uh, he, he was rather to be counted among those that were of the children of God and talks about faith. In the 11th chapter, in the 28th verse, it says, by through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, and the Egyptians, a saying to do, were drowned. So while the Egyptians were trying to come after them, they were drowned. Now the Hebrew word, that, that word there in Hebrews 11 is Greek, but the Hebrew word for Passover found in Exodus the 12th chapter, 10th verse, 13th verse, all of that. Basically, that Hebrew word is uh, Hebrew Strong's number 6453. And I know you don't, uh, most of us don't really care, but it, it's the word P-E-S-A-H, Pesach. And, and it is uh, the festival of Passover. But it comes, it's a derivative of a Hebrew word, 6452, which is Pasa which is really what that word means is hop or jump, skip, or pass over. So, you know, if you hop over something, then that's, you know, basically Passover. And that's where this new word with an E instead of an A uh, is the 
feast of Passover. And so when you stop and think that basically the word the Lord used in the 12th chapter of Exodus in the 13th verse was, when I see the blood, I will hop or dance over you. Wow, that's kind of exciting. When I see the blood, it makes the Lord, he recognizes it and he hops over you. Now, I know you may say, well, that, you know, uh, Exodus, the 13th chapter, goes on to say, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud that lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from the people. Now, Paul, when he was talking about this in the New Testament, he said, moreover, brethren, I would not that you would be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. So everybody say, cloud and sea. And we're all baptized unto Moses in what? The cloud and in the sea. So one of them was a heavenly baptism. The other one was a water baptism. So it shouldn't strike us as odd when Jesus says, you must be born again to Nicodemus of the water and of the spirit because that's a baptism in the cloud and the water is like a baptism uh, in, in water in the name of the Lord. And they did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for the drink of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So, when Stephen was preaching to the Jews in Acts the seventh chapter, and he was telling the Jews that, that in fact they have killed Jesus, who was, you know, the one basically that was going to uh, provide a way for them to get baptized basically in the water and in the spirit, he starts and he goes all the way back into Abraham and he talks about Moses in his sermon. You can read it in the seventh chapter. It's a powerful sermon. And he says, this is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, a prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. He's quoting that Moses said, somebody's going to come that's like me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. So what? Stephen was saying is Jesus was there 
and spoke unto Moses on Mount Sinai. Now what happened on Mount Sinai was 50 days after they passed through the Red Sea, they made it to Mount Sinai, and that's where the law was given. And that's why they celebrate Pentecost, the giving of the law. And so when we talk about receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost and the day of Pentecost, it happens, pente meaning 50. 50 days from Passover is the Jews celebrate the giving of the law. And it was on that day that there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues. Why was that so important? Because it's the Word. As John said in the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1, 14, and the Word was made flesh. And so when we talk about receiving the infilling of the Holy Ghost and we talk about getting the Spirit of the Lord in us, it is like we have made the trip from the Passover, the blood, through the water to Mount Sinai where the fire falls and we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Right there. And that's where. So we see that Christ fulfilled all of these parts of the Old Testament because they were given and Paul and, and Stephen was likening all of this and this was before Paul was even saved or was on the road to Damascus was in Acts the ninth chapter. Paul recognized the importance of Passover to us and he likens it to when we take the Lord's Supper and that's why when we talk about receiving communion and he says this is blood this is uh, this juice represents the blood that was shed and this wafer represents the body but what he was recognizing is in the Passover meal you are not supposed to eat any leaven because leaven is a type of sin because it's yeast and it it's that's leaven is another word for yeast and it swells you up and I, that's what I was talking about Sunday about your ego and how people get swollen up you know they get uh, uh, I, I can't believe nobody should talk about me that way and I, I need I'm a champion and I okay you, you see what I'm saying and so Paul said you've got to purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are supposed to be what unleavened that means you have nothing that swells you up and that's hard isn't it and I can drive down the road and I can get all swole up. How dare you try to? <laughs> One day this week, I, I tell you, pray for me when I'm driving. I change lanes. And I even use that, that apparatus that is electronic that you can, you know, you can just turn it up and it shows people you're going in another lane. Turn signal or whatever they call it. I don't always use that, but I, I've tried to do better. 
And I was four or five car lengths ahead. And as soon as I put on the signal, the guy starts zooming down 21st Street. And I was like, oh my Lord, I got, I got to get over. I got to turn up here. I have my blinker on and he takes off. And I got in front of him and he honks and honks and honks. And then he gets in the lane beside me and he turns the other way left into Kroger. And I'm like, I'm glad I reminded you that you needed milk or eggs or whatever. But it was like, why you wouldn't let me in when I, anyway. Hard to get that leaven out. For even Christ our Passover is sacrifice for us. So Paul said that Christ was like our our Passover. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness. This goes back to what I was preaching Sunday. When you are angry, when you are mad, when you are wicked, the only way you can embrace that is you think you deserve it. You think you're what? I can't believe they treated me that way. I can't believe they said that. Who do they think they are? I, I, malice and wickedness. Both are the result of an inflated ego. You see what I'm saying? You don't, because it's like, what's, what's amazing is, you know, we, we hear the, the reports that, okay, this is bad for you and that's bad for you. And, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. I can handle it. I can do it. I know. My mom's an old fogey. That preacher's a, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I know what I can handle. Huh? None of our young folks act that way, but I'm just telling you that's what happens. What they don't know won't hurt them. I'm tough. I can handle it. I can do it. I. Oh, hallelujah. He said, but with the unleavened bread of two things. What? Sincerity. That means being real, being the same, not trying to put on a front. You know, I can put on Facebook how awesome I am and how wonderful things are, and inside I'm dying. He said, that's leaven. When you're not sincere, be real. And what's the other one? Truth. Be honest. You know? Oh, I don't want to tell everybody what I'm going through. I don't I didn't tell you you have to tell everybody, but if someone says, you know, you need to be real about it. You need to be honest. Cannot live. You say, well, it's none of their business. Well, Maybe they want to pray with you. Maybe they want to pray for you. I'm not saying you got to go publish it in the newspaper, but you understand what I'm saying? There's the, when you are be willing to be sincere and when you are willing to be truthful and honest, that's when it's taking the starch out of you. Whenever I have to say, let me tell you, I need prayer. I need help. You know, I'm, I'm struggling right now. Things are not, huh? 
Well, I don't want to tell them because it's none of their business anyway, and I'm sure they've got plenty to hear and do. And I, I don't, you know, and I, I understand, and I appreciate people trying to seriously, you know, be try to be considerate. But I've had people tell me, I don't want to bother you, preacher. I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want anybody to know. Yeah, you know, I, I, I haven't. I, I haven't been felt right for a month, but I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't want to come for prayer. I didn't want... Be honest. I don't have to have the whole case history, but be honest. I need prayer. I need help. I'm struggling. Simon Peter said, for as much as you know, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But what redeemed us? The precious blood of Christ. That's why I would say to you that when you come before God, you say, well, Pastor, I don't want to tell anybody my business. Then I, at the very least, you better tell the Lord. You better write it out, confess it, pray it. Be real about it. God, I need you. Send somebody by that will pray with me. Huh? In this hour, the, the enemy wants to do everything he can to isolate, whether it's these young people, whether it's family, husbands, wives. And it's amazing. I, I, I've talked to people and they go, well, I haven't told this to anybody. I haven't told my family. I haven't told anyone. I haven't. Hey, have you prayed about it? Well, I, yeah, I said, Lord, touch me. But, well, hey, be sincere. Be truthful. Get rid of the leaven. First Peter, first chapter. And he said, you were received, you were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ and he is what? A lamb without blemish and without spot who was, notice this phrase, foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you. That's why when John saw Jesus, John the Baptist, for the first time, he said, Behold the lamb which taketh away sins of the world. So when you realize that the plan of God was to birth a nation and he was going to use the blood of a lamb put on doorposts. He was going to baptize them in water and in the sea, in the, in the cloud. And then he was going to bring them to Sinai and give them the word. And it was going to, then he was going to give them the tabernacle plan and all the types and shadows of that. And to think that that was just the beginning of what God had planned. What he really had planned was that Jesus would come, God would be manifest in the flesh, and he would become the Lamb of God, and he would open the door for the birth of a church, for the birth of a, a, a son, if you will, for the birth of a bride. He Simon said before the foundation of the world, but was manifest unto us in this last time for you. Now that's why when you read the book of Revelation, 
repeatedly after you get through the fourth chapter from then on he is called the lamb the lamb the lamb the lamb revelation the fifth chapter the sixth verse and behold and lo in the midst of the throne and four beasts the elders had stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into the earth. And you can do a whole study on why seven. Seven is a number of completion. Seven was a perfect number. And so when you talk about seven horns, it means all authority, all power. You can read where Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. That's seven horns, seven eyes. Seven spirits of God goes back to that seven eyes, all knowing the seven spirits go back to Isaiah where it says the spirit of, of, of prophecy and the spirit of this and the spirit of that and there's seven of them mentioned there I think it's in Isaiah the 11th chapter but you, it, it was the lamb that was slain Revelation the 13th chapter and all that dwell on the earth shall worship whose names were written in the what <laughs> the book of life the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world Jesus 17th chapter make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome him for he's the lord of lords king of kings and they that are called and they that are with him are three things if you want to get with the lamb you got to be Called, everybody say called. And then chosen, everybody say chosen. And then faithful. And that's what the enemy will try to do is to wear out the saints of the most high God. Huh? Now, you say, well, the Bible is very clear. Many are called but few are what? Chosen. So you say, well, I'm here because of my mom and my dad and my grandparents. And I, I can, you know, I, I relate to that. I'm fourth generation apostolic. Third on one side, fourth on the other. But I want to tell you, that's, we need to thank the Lord that someone in our family responded to the call because they responded like Abraham then Isaac was called then Jacob was called Esau was also called but guess what he wouldn't respond to it and so when you look at the call of God, many are called, few are chosen. The, the very fact that you were willing to respond in faith, the Lord chose me, oh, I am so thankful. Out of all of the families in southern Louisiana that were all 
there coming from Arcadia and Canada and came down and they, they were all Catholic and they were all wonderful folks and they were hardworking and all of that. The Lord chose them, my great-grandfather and he called him and he said, look, I, I found something that goes beyond what I'm getting down here at the parish church. I've got the Holy Ghost. And he began to worship and praise God and the Lord filled him with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I had a, a fourth generation. I just realized on my, my father's side too, but, but it was like my, his grandmother got the Holy Ghost in a revival in downtown St. Paul. I'm guessing she was Lutheran and I don't know where she heard or what happened. And then this grandmother, you know, said, look, I got a grandson and, and got the church to send a bus by to get my dad. And my dad got in church and then his mother got in church and then some of his sisters got in church. Now, you know, then I was born and then my what a privilege many are called few are chosen and I hate to say it but even fewer are faithful because just oh I'm so busy oh things are oh, it's just I'm overwhelmed I've got so much to do I, and what does the Bible say very clearly? When he returns, what's he looking for? Faith. Will I find somebody that keeps praising, that keeps coming, that keeps worshiping, that keeps going to the altar, that keeps, regardless of how they feel, regardless of what's going on? Huh? That becomes the key. John, the 10th chapter. Jesus himself said, truly, truly, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth another way, is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, the reason I'm reading that is because you have to have the blood applied to the doorpost of your life. And where did they apply the blood? all over the door on each side and across the top there was none put on the bottom because you're not supposed to walk on the blood Bible talks about trampling the blood of Christ you don't want to walk on the blood. In other words, it's, it's more important. But the blood was on the door. Jesus uh, was said unto them, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. And anybody else is a thief and robber, but the sheep don't hear them. I am the door. I am the way. I, if any man enters in, he shall be saved, shall go in and out and find pasture. And the reason I want you to hear that is because I know some people say, oh, there's many ways to God. You can find God through nature and you can find God through Krishna and you can find God through meditation and you can find God through Muhammad or whomever I want to tell you the door is Jesus you have to come through that door you cannot get the only way the Lord's going to hop over you is if you have the blood applied to the door of your life. 
And he said, the thief doesn't come but for one th for, to steal, kill, and destroy, but I am come that they might have life, life more abundantly. And Paul told him in Corinthians, he said, for the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish. Some people say, well, I don't think it's a big deal. But to those who are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. That goes right back to what I preached Sunday about, uh, you know, that he, you've chosen the base things and the things that are not to bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. I'm here to tell you that if you want when you decide I want to serve the Lord I want to give him everything I'm here to tell you God is able to make you wiser than your teachers you say is that possible yes because no matter if, if the fact is that when you realize who God is and the importance of who God is and that's why some of these things that are going on in our society today is they have no fear of God 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, Paul told them, all things are of God who hath reconciled, everybody say reconciled, us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? To wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to him, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. I'll read you what that word means a little later. Basically what it means is a, a, someone who is mature enough, old enough to represent a nation, a country. You know? An ambassador for Christ to represent someone else. That's what we're supposed to be doing in this world. And the Bible said, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. I know that's not popular. People want to, I, I want people to know who I am. I want to be famous. I want to be, I'd like to, you know, discover the cure for cancer. I want to be great. I want to have my name in lights. I want to have a thousand million likes and views. And the more I have, the more awesome I am. I want all of this for me. Did Jesus come to do that? That was not his focus. I'm not telling you you can't be famous, but you cannot seek that. That can't be your motivation. No more than your motivation. I want to get rich. I want to get money. I want to... I, first of all, I want to serve him. I want to be like Jesus. You say, well, are you saying you can't have car, computer, your name in lights? No, I'm, I'm, I, I wish all of our young people became super famous and all the above. But you know... The fact is, I would rather them be an ambassador for Christ. 
Whether anybody else knows them, I want the Lord to know who they are. Say, well, I want everybody, I want to be the star, I want to make the headlines. We've got people that are so warped that they want to make the headlines even if it means doing somebody else harm. They live for the thrill of being another view. What can I do? Oh, God, help us in this hour. We want to be an ambassador for Christ. And he says, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. Paul told the church in Colossae powerful words in this first chapter, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. He was the firstborn of every creature. And we are supposed to be his firstborn. Like Israel became his firstborn nation, we are to be the firstborn of Jesus Christ. That's why you will hear me say, there are no grandchildren, there are no fourth generation, third generation, second generation. You've got to make up your mind for yourself. I'm going to live for God. I am thankful for wonderful parents. I'm thankful for wonderful grandparents that live for God. I am thankful for a great grandfather that lived for God. I'm thankful for a great grandma. All those things. But let me tell you, at some point, it's on my shoulders to become a firstborn. And you say, well, are you saying, I'm thankful for the Legacy. We talk about growing apostolic legacy. I'm thankful for what happened a hundred years ago, over a hundred years ago. I'm thankful for the revivals. I'm thankful for the ministries. I'm thankful for the people that were came through these doors and got and repented and got filled with the Holy Ghost. But let me tell you, at some point it's got to become first for us. Do we still believe in miracles? Do we still believe in the power of God to change and heal and deliver? That's why Paul said he was the firstborn. Then he goes on down in the 19th verse. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Having made, and here's a powerful word, peace. How? Through the blood of of his cross. Jesus, who was the Prince of Peace, the baby that was born that the shepherds talked about, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, you can have in the midst of a world that is filled with chaos and turmoil and fear and anxiety and stress, you can enter into his presence because of the blood of the cross. <laughs> 
because of who he is and just let his spirit envelop you and his presence or shadow you through because of the cross and he will take you and the Bible uses the phrase Paul said reconcile all things to himself by him I say things that are in earth things that are in heaven <coughs> things that uh, are under the earth and he goes on down to say and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies where in your mind by wicked works you get your mind off track and you before long you're you'll start being off track that's why it's vital what you talk about what you look at what you associate with what you think about you go, oh, well, this song's not bad. You know, it's singing about how bad my life is. She got the gold mine, I got the shaft. And this is a problem, and that's a problem. And before long, I'm feeling like I, you know, it's true, really. I, I'm up here. She's back there holding the baby somewhere. That ain't right. For long, you can. That's why the Bible says, whatsoever things are good, lovely, good report, be any virtue, be any praise. What do you do? Because he said, if you're not careful, you'll get alienated in your mind by your wicked works. Yet now he hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable. He goes on down in the second chapter and says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I mentioned before in Exodus, the Lord called this rod that he had thrown down out in the staff when he was doing the sheep, the rod of God. And, and what does that mean? That if, it does, if you will let God use you, if he said, if he could say, this is the a wooden stick is the rod of God, imagine I can be a child of God. If the Lord could claim a stick, if somebody's willing to say, Lord, I want your blood applied to my life, that's why he said, behold, what, it's amazing. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So he goes on, and, he, and Simon Peter said, a chosen generation, a royal priest, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now are the people of God who didn't have mercy, but now have had mercy. Oh, if you don't have anything else that you can praise the Lord for, maybe your life is all upside down and things are all terrible and you're not feeling well in your body you can say thank you Lord one day you called me out of darkness you chose me and I'm going to be faithful to praise you and magnify you and worship you say oh Lord I, I am the very fact that I have mercy Paul told the church in Ephesians that the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather 
all into one all things in Christ which were in heaven and which are on earth even in him you go back into Deuteronomy when when Moses was telling the children of those that had died in the wilderness he said the Lord our God made a and he uses the word covenant with us in Horeb that's a powerful word because that's why when we talk about the blood covenant when you go down in in Jesus name it is like a marital covenant it is like an I do it's not just okay I got wet he is saying I will be your God when you get the Holy Ghost, this is not just, oh, wow, man, it felt great. This is a covenant he made. You know, when people talk now, they talk about one day God's going back to the Jews. and He's going to return to the Jews and return to the Jews. Why? Because he made a covenant with them. I want to tell you something. He didn't, okay, well, that was a powerful covenant, but he didn't make a covenant with me. If you were buried in his name and you got the Holy Ghost, he made a covenant with you. I will be your God. You shall be my people. That's why he said, you're my firstborn. Wow. That's why Jesus would say, you know, Uh, no one can take you from my hand. Paul, uh, Moses goes on to say, the Lord talked with you face to face in the mount out of the midst of the fire. I want to tell you something. When you got the Holy Ghost, the Lord was talking to you face to face. Sometimes people don't realize. You know, you say, well, I don't know why I can't get the Holy Ghost, but I'm thinking all the time, oh, Lord, I'm going to do this. I I gotta go. I wonder what time it is. I'm not hungry for you. Know, I, you gotta get your your mind connected to Him. Yes. Connect with Him face to face. He said, "The Lord talked to you face to face in the midst of the fire." And then He said, "Moses said, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to show you the word of the Lord, and you were afraid by reason of the fire and didn't go up in the mount." saying, I am the Lord thy God which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. I'm here to tell you that the Lord wants to bring us out of bondage. That's why we can easily say the Lord wants to break every chain. He wants to break every addiction. He wants to break everything that would try to bind us. Acts, the third chapter after the day of Pentecost, the sermon Simon Peter gives, the day the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate. What is he saying? It's the same God. It's not a different God. It's the very same God that was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. The same God that led them through the Red Sea. It's the same God now that we can serve and we can be his people. Paul told the church in Galatia, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. What is it? What do you mean? The Lord did all of this 
the Lord was born to become the second Moses to open up the way for a church so that Christ would be born in us. If you read that in the Amplified, that verse says, my little children for whom I am again suffering birth pains until Christ is completely and permanently formed or molded within you. Have you say, people say, I've had people say to me, it just seems like it's just a, such a struggle now, such a struggle now. Talk to some of these young ladies that are sitting back there that have just given birth. What's that last month like? What's the last week like? What's the last hours like? Huh? <laughs> oh, God, I'm miserable. Ever felt that way? <laughs> you know, I can't take it anymore. Oh, you know what's trying to happen inside me? Christ is trying to be formed in me. Oh, I know. We can talk about, uh, you know, I've read a lot of good books on, you know, how to help a lady go through birth pains. And when my wife was giving birth to Sheena, I had all the answers. until a hand grabbed me and said, be quiet, don't say anything else. I was saying, let me say, right now, it looks like the machine says that you're going into a labor pain and this is gonna be intensifying. Oh, look, that, that's gonna be a big one right there. And there was very little I could do to help her. Unfortunately, sometimes when Christ is really being formed in you, it's a one-on-one. -on -one. Huh? Oh, you can pray for me. <laughs> you can say, I love you. But guess what? Nothing gets rid of this pain. Paul said, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. He told him in the Colossians, he says, to whom God would make known unto you the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Paul wrote to the Roman, the earnest expectation of the creature waits for what? All of creation is waiting for what? 2,000 years from the birth of Moses was the birth of Christ. And it's been almost, it's been a little over 2,000 years. And you know what? Everything is waiting for the last birth. Not Moses the deliverer, not Jesus the Savior, but the manifestation of the Son's Oh, he said, 
the creature was made subject to vanity. You're so vain. Not with willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know that the whole of creation groans and travails in pain together until now. What are you, what are you groaning about? That, oh, that somehow Christ would be born and not only they, but ourselves, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. Oh, I am so glad. I know my time is up, but let me tell you, the Lord is wanting to birth within all of us. He's wanting somehow. I want to see Jesus in you. I know I preached to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. That's what this whole creation is wanting. Somebody that will represent Jesus. Somebody in their 80s that will represent Jesus. Somebody in their 90s that will represent Jesus. Somebody in their teens that will represent Jesus. Somebody in their 40s, their 30s, their 50s, their 60s. Somebody who's single, somebody who's married, somebody who has no friends, somebody who's popular. and Huh? but will represent Jesus. Somebody who's well-educated, somebody who doesn't hardly know how to add two and two, but they've got one thing down. I want to be like Jesus. I want Christ to be formed in me. I want Christ to be formed in me. Oh, and it's a, oh, it's a birth process. It's painful. It, at times, it's like I'm miserable. The more I think I got it down, then all of a sudden I'm just, ah. You've probably never felt that before. But ask one of these moms. Nothing's comfortable. I lay on this side. I lay on that side. I stand up. I sit down. I walk. Huh? You say, well, I'm feeling all of that, Pastor. What does that mean? I've lost out? No, it means something's birthing in me. I want to be like him. Hallelujah. Let's stand.